You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm the producer now. I'm the captain now. Is there a uh, ska version of Dreidel, Dreidel, Dreidel that we can play? Probably. There's a ska version. Dreidel, Dreidel, Dreidel. I think the fans would be upset if it wasn't in the ska genre. My favorite thing about punk concerts where they would just take whatever song was popular at that moment and just turn it into a punk song. Even if it didn't work, they'd just do it. It happens. Did you go to a lot of punk concerts, Chris? Mm -hmm. I did. Welcome to On the Bench, a special semi-emergency podcast edition of this podcast. I'm rusty, guys. I wasn't emotionally planning to do a podcast today, but here we are because there's news. There's recruiting news. There's always recruiting news. When will it stop? I don't know, but we're here to cover it. Do we want to start with FSU's latest commitment? It's commitment from a couple days ago or the season just kind of abruptly ending. Where, where do we want to start, fellas? Uh, let's go with uh, the addition of Malik McClain. Thank you. you want for, me to start there? Yeah, thank you for pretending that this was organic conversation and, and going off the script, Josh. I appreciate it. Well, Florida State added their 17th signee towards their 2021 class on Friday afternoon. Uh, when Malik McClain, the Bradenton, Florida IMG Academy four-star wide receiver, announced that he was coming back with Florida State. Uh, Malik McLean, for FSU fans, if that name sounds familiar, it should. He committed to Florida State on August 15th. Um, was a solid commitment for a long time. Just kind of flew under the radar. Uh, didn't do any interviews. Didn't really uh, uh, entertain a whole lot of other schools. And then on December 7th, he put out a tweet saying that he was decommitting from Florida State. Um, at that point, you know, Luke Altmeyer had just reopened his recruitment and I think had just committed to Ole Miss. Um, the tide seemed like they were turning. Florida State was really struggling. And a lot of experts, including myself, <clears throat> thought he was going to Ole Miss. I enjoyed the throat clearing there. Josh, right. they came for you on Twitter. There was like three people that were like, <laughs> What do I pay you guys for? Even though, listen, uh, Brendan. To, listen, to be, Brendan. To, to be fair, I want to say, hey, real quick, you were the you were the one saying that FSU wasn't conceding it, so you did give FSU oh. a chance. You were the one. No, I was wrong. I'm just a prisoner of the moment. Sometimes, look, the tides were turning. It was emotional. Florida State was was bleeding out on the recruiting trail, and I just went with that old Miss pick. But boy, was I wrong, and I'm happy to be wrong. You were um, on the lane train, but you know who saved the day, man. KZ. He came in and was like, yo, Malik, you want me to throw the ball to you 40 yards downfield with pinpoint precision and accuracy? Hell yeah. Josh is like, I'm talking to Malik McClain right now. And so no one's like, ask him about Milton. Ask him about Milton. <laughs> yeah, I'll explain that. So yesterday, Malik McClain committed to Florida State on Instagram route 4 p.m. And in all honesty, it was. By wasn't yesterday, you mean Friday? 
Oh, right. See what happens yeah. when you buy a house? Yeah, Time I'm... just travels so fast. Your life has changed forever. <laughs> FSU's game was canceled yesterday. I bought a house. Two uh, days ago. It was canceled two days ago. Chris having the, the game most... was supposed to be played yesterday. Oh, my God. We'll, we'll get to that, too. There's a lot going on. Chris having the most energy right now of the three of us is um, is an upset. Sorry, Josh. Well, Josh, continue. pretty clear we should always record pods in the middle of the afternoon. Yes, uh, definitely not in the morning. Chris is alive. Yep. So... He makes his decision on Instagram Live, and it was a surprise to us. But I had a shell story in there; just we called it like a just in case story. So we weren't completely cut off guard. We, you know, we flipped the the story live instantly and and had it up on the front page of the site. Um, but we didn't have a pre write or anything with him. So I called Malik McLean after the commitment went official, and we spoke for about ten minutes. Um, it was kind of interesting, just having dealt with Malik in the past. He doesn't really like doing interviews. He doesn't really like talking about recruiting. He doesn't, he, he just seems like he kind of wants to get out of there. And yesterday he was great. He was just like more than happy to talk. You could tell that his final decision was made and it was like, there was a weight lifted off his shoulders. So I felt comfortable kind of asking him why he decommitted and, and just getting the backstory on that. And I thought that was interesting. Um, he decommitted because he said he wanted to reassess everything. And he, Here's the quote, quote, the whole decommitment wasn't as much about FSU. It was like, I just stepped back and reassessed everything. I wanted to see everything for what it was, not good or bad. And I felt like I couldn't do that if I was still committed to FSU. Kind of makes sense, right? McLean's a huge get for them for a multitude of reasons. One, it's always good to get a guy back in the fold that you lost. Mm -hmm. It says something about your recruiting ability. Two, you beat Old Miss head to head, and for whatever reason, FSU Old Miss has become such a storyline that is exhausting but exists. Three, he's an early enrollee, and God knows that room's going to need some help in the spring because it's been, you know, fairly decimated as we covered on the last podcast. Mm-hmm. And four, he's really talented. You can go read Sonone's scouting report, which he dusted off and reran <laughs> from the original commitment. But he's a big dude. He's an athletic dude. He has good hands. He does a decent job of fighting for the ball in the air. He can stretch the field to some level. It, it's a good get. I mean, he's a guy that I like a good bit. I think it's a huge get for them. They need two to three more wide receivers after Wednesday when they signed just one, Joshua Burrell. This is another one. Obviously, Destin Hill is still a guy out there lingering for February. I think they're also going to look for another guy who brings maybe a little bit more age to the room, whether that's a junior college transfer or a uh, uh, regular old transfer. Graduate transfer. Yeah. You know, we talked about Andrew Parchman a little bit on the last podcast. He's a guy that certainly is Slow it down there, Chris. There's a script. Slow it down. Oh, I see. I scrolled, and there it is, Andrew Parchment. I didn't see when I originally looked. We'll get to it about a half hour from now. Did you include scroll and parchment in the same sentence on purpose? No, but I I literally just scrolled on my phone and saw it there. But also, it moved the class up to 22, and I think it's fourth in the league behind Clemson, Miami, North Carolina. So it it was good. It's a good way to kind of cap it off to a degree from a high school perspective because the high school window has closed. That was Wednesday to Friday. Now we're mainly focused on potentially a junior college kid or two and also transfers that kind of enroll in January. Class is 22nd. Like Chris said, nationally, it is third among teams with new head coaches, which I think is important to kind of factor in for this really weird recruiting cycle. Ole Miss is at, let's see, number 18. Take that, Ole Miss, though. You would have been up higher if you got McLean. You didn't. 
And then Arkansas at number 20. The one thing I'll say is that FSU has 17 high school commitments, and that's all that's factored into the 24-7 rankings currently. Like McKenzie Milton is the highest-rated composite player currently in FSU's class, but it isn't factored into the class rankings. I think that'll change next year, Bud said. Uh, But for now, FSU has 17 commits. Ole Miss has 24. Arkansas has 22. So uh, per player ranking, like FSU's probably doing the best of any team with a new head coach this year on the recruiting trail, which says a lot about what this staff can do with a little bit of time to to operate. All right. Uh, let's give a quick shout out. We done on Malik McLean. Anything else on that recruitment? That was a big haul. We, we all agree. It's good stuff. Yeah, um, it's, I want to hold on. I want to clarify one thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think that he's from Alabama because he transferred from Daphne, Alabama to. Yeah, I was one of those people. IMG. Um, Malik told me this before he committed and we had said it, but I kind of. The first forgot. time. <laughs> yeah, right. the first time. But I forgot. So I, I asked him again. I said, Malik, what. Are, you're not from Alabama, are you? And he said, no, I'm from Crestview. So he's okay. from Crestview, Florida. I think he lived in Crestview up until maybe his freshman year of high school. And then he's been living in Daphne, Alabama, where his family still stays for three years. He transferred to IMG for his senior year. Family is still in Daphne, Alabama. He'll be enrolling at Florida State in January. I confirm that he is an early enrollee and he'll be in Tallahassee in a couple weeks. It's a good win for Dugans, who you know needs good Much wins. Needed especially at his position. And also, I won't lie, I watched the Instagram live as he was committing, even though this was more Josh's baby. Josh ran point on Malik. But uh, when he said FSU, I was like, fantastic, good for FSU. But I hesitated for a moment because I was waiting for the old, there's a hat under the hat. But that didn't happen. So I was glad that it was FSU. And I think part of uh, us not knowing a little bit is like, you know, let's be honest, Uh, This FSU staff and the sources that we talk with have been here for a year and they have had a a rough go of it. I think part of it was nobody kind of wanted to jinx it or let the cat out of the bag or have too much optimism. So I think they were even kind of playing it cautiously safe. And, you know, uh, we just didn't get the the vibes, but it was a great surprise. I love surprises. Um, We haven't had many. A little look behind a pleasant surprise. Yeah, a little look behind the curtain on that. A guy like Quay, who signed with uh, Old Miss. Old Miss. The minute Old Miss offered, I asked a source, "You concerned about that?" And they essentially said, "Oh, he's almost certainly gone." They never were that way with McLean. They never said he was certainly coming, Mm -hmm. but they were the reason we kind of said, "You know, hey, they are definitely making an effort to get him back in the boat." And Josh. Josh. Josh led that charge, I think, before most of anybody that covers this team in this uh, But he didn't move the crystal ball, and, like, two people on Twitter are angry right now. Hey, it is a testament to what you guys do and how Josh, is your, we are with does your crystal ball. Does your crystal ball keep you up at night? No. No, not at all. <laughs> Mine does at times. I won't lie. There are mornings I wake up, and I think, did I change that kid's crystal ball? Oh, Bryce Langston man. was one of oh, those. Oh, wow. That's an interesting revelation. I wish. Oh, I, there's a reason I try to hit at a high percentage because, well, I hyperventilate when I miss. Yeah. So, you know, I have to. See, I get, I get kind of screwed over because I, I know some coaches at some lower levels and they'll tell me like a, a, just a slam dunk crystal ball. So I'll put it in in like June or July or whatever and the kid will commit to <laughs> that smaller school. Well, then in January, he ends up getting interest and flips to other programs. So sometimes that happens to me. I don't. I don't flips, sweat it too much. Flips bite me in the ass. Jake Slaughter got me this year. I didn't change that one quick enough when he was flipping to Florida. Jake Slaughter. Uh, Wilson, the uh, O-lineman from North Carolina who Jared went Wilson. back and forth. I think he ended up at UNC, but yeah. Georgia was in there. 
That one got me. Those are a couple of them. Carson Beck was one last year. I thought he was going to Florida, went to Georgia. All right. Hey, let's get into this. Who's still, hold on. I got, hold on. Oh, I think, oh. Brendan, this is, this is a good project for you, but oh, we God. should put together something, some kind of pool for, for crystal ball for this 2022 cycle, like where we win something. I'll put you in charge of it. Okay. A house, a housewarming gift. Yeah. Matthew, I think Chris's hit rate of hitting 90% almost exclusively. Josh was in the 70s and me just guessing and hitting 80% probably puts Chris as the the surefire winner based on just his. It'll make you step your game up this year. Yeah, sure. I'll have to be a little more aggressive. I messed with Sinone yesterday. I went to a good family friend's new house. They were showing it off. Really nice establishment. And uh, man, do they have a liquor bar? And I took a video of it and sent it to Sinone. And there was one particular that you, you may have thrown out an expletive over what was it smoke barrel smoke Sm- wagon smoke wagon which is becoming uh it's an mgp like this like sourced bourbon that they send out i think it's like nevada or somewhere out in the desert and that climate does some crazy things to the bourbon that apparently makes it really amazing and incredible and everyone like it's like that's like that's like the bourbon drinkers bourbon you know that's the the in one right now that i haven't been able to get a hold, hold of I joked with him. I go, I don't see your Blantons. And of course he shows off the bottle of Blantons. The small bottle was behind a big bottle. So it kind of hit on me. Then he pulls out a drawer and he has four other boxes of Blanton in there. I'm like, oh, okay. So you're prepared for a snowstorm or two. We need to whip it out and see who has the bigger uh, bourbon collection. Me or your I, th- I think he'd win. Um, You haven't looked at my liquor cabinet recently. I was yeah. not going to be petty, but you won't let me in your house unless I like put myself in a full body wrap suit. A uh, bubble boy. Yeah. I need you to be bubbled up to come into the snow, the Casa de Sinon. All right. Speaking of liquor and, and bourbon, let's give a shout out to our sponsor, Market Square Liquors. What, what? They have everything that you need for your holiday season. Uh, amazing selection of champagne for when New Year's is coming up around the corner here. Christmas, obviously, they got a, a ton of wine, a bunch of Christmas-themed, uh, like, seasonal beers that I've enjoyed so far this this December, and a ton of liquor gift sets, including some really fancy, like, high-head scotch, like Glenlivet, Ardbeg, which is for the smoky scotch drinkers out there, and also, like, more accessible liquors, too, like, like uh, Jameson and Kahlua as well. So they have, if you're looking for last-minute gifts, head on over to Market Square Liquors, pick up some some gift sets for your loved ones or even yourself. It's a good time of year to go ahead and get like a free glass along with a, uh, a bottle of, of whiskey. Why not? Why not? Located off Timberlake Road in North Tallahassee. All right. So there was a few things of news that kind of trickled out in the Malik McLean segment, uh, but I guess we'll get into it with what's coming up here. And that is a commitment that's occurring as we're recording this podcast. I pray to God it happens and we don't have to go back and edit it, I will lose my shit. I swear to God, if it doesn't happen. And that's that FSU is about to add a commitment from Arkansas transfer cornerback. Chris, help me out here. Jarquez Mc... McClellan. McClellan. Jarquez McClellan. Chris, I'll let you take the lead on this since you, uh, you're you writing the story. You're going to confirm it. You're going to be the one who, who breaks the news once it's public here on Sunday afternoon. He's a redshirt junior. He has about 1,300 defensive snaps in his career. He did not play this year for Arkansas. He he missed their first game, which I believe was Georgia, and then he opted out before their second game. So he didn't take the field this season, but he did play a heck of a lot the last two seasons. He redshirted his freshman season in 2017. 
2015. Originally from Lake Worth, Florida, went to the land American Heritage down there. That's the second of the two American Heritages down there when you're talking football. But he was on some pretty good squads when he was at American Heritage. I think they were in playoffs either 15 or 16 and made a pretty good run. Um, he's a big body kid, six foot 190. You know, we talked about his experience. He hit the portal officially yesterday. FSU immediately got in contact. During that conversation, he asked if he had the offer. They clarified he did. He committed. It was very short courtship. He talked to Mike Norvell, Adam Fuller, Marcus Woodson. He said, you know, coming back home to the home state, playing at FSU, appealing to him. FSU wants him to add age to that room to help replace Asante Samuel Jr.'s departure. He wants to be that guy. He'll be here in January, technically with two years to play. Yeah, I I think it speaks to Josh has made a point previously that some of these portal courtships are going to be very short and brief when FSU knows who they want. And that happened here, no doubt. And I think it also points to another thing where we've talked about FSU trying to add some middle of the age group, you know, not a true freshman, not a guy who's only got one year. This is a guy who could potentially have two years. Don't know if he will play two years, but he could potentially play two years. So it adds some age to the room. We're kind of seeing that as a theme that they're doing. This will be their second transfer edition, joining Mackenzie Milton, both of whom were fairly quick courtships, pretty straight to the point with FSU. Do we want to go over? No, I'm not going to get my scouting report just yet. Some of the PF numbers aren't super encouraging. I just, I don't know. Am I being a slave to the numbers here, Chris? I think it has to be remembered that he played at Arkansas on some bad defenses before this year, especially. True, true. I mean, they they still aren't a very good defense this year. They made some improvements under the new guidance of the defensive coordinator that Sam Pittman brought in as head coach. There's a reason Arkansas has had coaching changes and was quite woeful the last couple of years, and he's part of that. So is he a creature of the environment, or is he a guy who by himself might be a little bit more talented than the numbers kind of state? I I love PFF. PFF's nice because it's kind of a baseline for everybody, and I like that. But I also think at times you sometimes just have to watch your guy on film, and I'm not trying to turn clone into something he's not. I'm just saying that the conversation can't be solely based on the numbers. There's a reason FSU immediately jumped on this one. This isn't a – FSU believes they're getting something here is my view of it. They're not just taking a guy to take a guy. Well, what they are getting, I think, Chris, is experience, like you alluded to. He's a two-year starter in the SEC. Also plays special teams. Which we know Mike Norvell absolutely loves. Uh, Just so our our listeners do have an idea of what we're talking about with the the PFF numbers – Usually like 60 kind of is the dividing line of of average, 60 to 65. He graded out 59.7 in 2019 and 59.8 in 2018. So round up, like he's pretty much an average starting cornerback in the SEC, which I think you take if you're you're Florida State. Didn't get, with, with the, go ahead, Josh. Didn't Janarian Jones start? Jerry and Jones. And I'm, well, I can go over, I can find the PFF stuff if I stall long enough here, but I was going to say, I sent it to you guys. I was just wondering how he compared that. That was what I was trying to I'm going to find it uh, real quick, but I was going to say that I was looking up the PFF numbers for uh, cornerbacks, just generally for something else I was doing the other day. Akeem Dent has allowed the highest passer rating of any starting cornerback or guys played a certain amount of snaps in the country. Uh, when he's targeted, and I think Jerry and Jones was in the top 10. So FSU has two yeah. cornerbacks who are in the top 10. I think Jones 10. was 10. 
when yeah, you showed I think, me that. I think that sounds about right, Chris. So my, my point being, and we talked about this on the last pod when we did our hypothetical like positions of need, and, and I think I kind of talked Chris into cornerback being a position of need. It is one that FSU had to supplant the depth somewhat, not just to replace Asante Samuel Jr., but to raise the floor of the room because there are legitimately a lot of unknowns at that position group. Just didn't play very well this year. Um, all right, I got the numbers here in front of me for Jerry and Jones, PFF, to answer your question, Josh. 65.7. So um, slightly above McClellan. Yeah, slightly above McClellan's grades from a year ago. His completion percentage allowed for Jones is is what's different. I think McClellan's like in the 50% range. Jerry and Jones is at 64.3% completion percentage, which is absurdly high. Uh, so I think they grade him for like being in the right position sometimes. Uh, but then obviously making the play on the ball has been an issue for Jerry and Jones. So he does get rewarded for being in the right spot and just losing a lot of 50-50 balls. Akeem Dent's PFF of 57.2. So I don't know. So this will put FSU at 19, right? For 19, this class. correct. Yeah, so that means six to seven more spots is what we're looking at. And we only think they're going to probably take Roughly three more high schoolers as things stand today. Josh, let me get your thoughts on that. How heavy do you think the transfer portal is going to be to finish out this class? Chris threw out the number of three. Do you take the over or under on, on high school commitments, making up the rest of that ratio? I think there'll be about probably like six six or seven more transfers probably. So, so that would be all of it, though. No, that would that would certainly from a number standpoint. Yeah, I think I think there'll be six or seven transfers. I think they'll probably get Destin Hill. Okay. From the high school level. And you think that's it? Yeah, and then I think yeah. they take. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I mean, I think we'll see. I think we'll see. I, I'm not real hopeful about this Taiwan Malone thing. Um, we'll see what happens if he makes it to campus in January. But he's, you know. Yeah. Well, who else is on their board for high school kids, or who, who do we think right now? Like would Hill is certainly, Malone certainly is, uh, Tavares Dawson, who is an Auburn commitment who opted not to sign early, is certainly a guy they like as well. What is he now? Those are really the main three. And then Kimo, who hasn't signed yet, who is committed to FSU. Do we think Hargrove is? No, I'm told that Hargrove's probably not going to be in the plans for Florida State, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out them taking a transfer running back. Interesting. So – Chris kind of alluded to this, Josh. I, I wanted you to expand on this if you can. The idea that we may see a lot of quick recruitments like this for Florida State. Uh, some people on the message board were wishing they were being more aggressive, like going after every single yeah, person. I said to you guys that I think it, I don't know if I said it on the pod. That might have been a group chat thing. That was I a said, group chat thing. That was a group chat thing. I told you guys, I think like four or five days ago, that when Florida State lands a transfer, it's going to happen very quickly. It's not going to be one of these things where we see these long recruitments and um, it looks like that's, that is the case. Uh, we're going to see this Arkansas DB commit here today. He hit the portal. Was it yesterday? How long has he been in the portal for last Offic- night? It was like in hit the, the portal yesterday. Yeah. He, it was sometime I was, I was on the couch watching TV and around like six or seven o'clock and he entered the portal. So he'll be in the portal for less than 24 hours before committing to FSU. So I think that's more of the pattern that we're going to see. Probably. Of course, if there's a big time, prospect going in there that FSU wants yeah they, they might have to battle it out and wait for him but I think for the most part we're going to see these quick uh, transactions take place Chris you mentioned publicly I think that's an important part of kind of understanding some of the timeline stuff like with McKenzie Milton I, I'm pretty confident that the commitment happened at least a few days before he actually publicly committed uh, if, yeah, if not a little bit longer and then Andrew Parchment 
McClellan told me it happened last night when they talked on the phone. The first, essentially, the first conversation he had with FSU. And I was going to say Andrew Parchment, the Kansas wide receiver. We don't know for a fact that he's committed. We do believe there's mutual interest on both sides and that both sides are talking right now. I'll let you guys kind of focus on that recruitment and expound on that a little bit. He did like a, he did give me a heart emoji when I asked him if they were talking over DM the other day. That's so, special. So that's, yeah. I mean, that's significant. They can't all be as easy as McClellan for us to follow up on. Mark <laughs> Anthony Richards and Parchment are playing hard to get. <laughs> They're playing hardball, but we do believe there's interest uh, mutually on, on both sides for both of those recruitments. We'll see how that, that goes. Uh, Parchment would be a big deal because he's a productive college wide receiver. This past season was kind of a weird deal because K- Kansas basically didn't have a quarterback to throw him the ball. A year ago, he had about 800 receiving yards and, and looked the part of an NFL caliber wide receiver. So we'll keep you guys updated here on Dolls 24. Both of those guys we mentioned are also from South Florida. Yes. Yes. And um, Mark Anthony is he going to be is he going to be considered running back here? What's he playing? Yes, I think he would be a running back here, but a versatile type. I mean, he can do a lot of things. He's a talented kid. You know, younger brother of Amon Richards, former Miami receiver who was knocked out of the game by injury. But yeah, I think he'd be a running back, but a guy who can do a little bit of everything. Kind of like Ja'Kai Douglas is viewed, I guess, is probably a mm-hmm. fair comparison of current roster member. Well, they're looking for that Antonio Gibson type of player, someone who was kind I of kind gadget. of saw Quay Davis in that role, right? Yes. Yeah, he would have been that for them. Remember when we were talking for the last podcast, the scholarship distribution and mm-hmm. running back wide receiver, like that, that gadget guy brings a lot of value because you only have so many numbers. So if you have someone who can do both uh, to some extent or another, I think that's significantly valuable. And something they love to do as an offense. I it mean, fits, it's yeah. a staple of a Mike Norvell offense, Kenny Dillingham offense. So maybe that's why you're seeing um, – them kind of move on from a, a prototypical running back like Travian Hargrover, Jalen White, and they're they're looking at these like multifaceted offensive players at this point. Yeah, Jaylen, and you know Jalen White's you know Instagram you, said he was in Tallahassee though the other day. State championships. Um, oh, I mean, you know, you got a guy like Toa Philly who's kind of a bit of a you know speed cat, and then you got Corbin who's a little bit more of a physical runner. Obviously, would have been great to keep Webb because he was a bit of a sledgehammer. But you see that the room has a mix of guys. So I think getting a guy who can satisfy multiple needs in one is better than just getting a guy who just runs people over if you don't think he's that dude. Right. I meant to address this earlier. Josh, are you wearing a big three roll-up shirt on our podcast? What the hell? Yeah. I think I've had this on for like three days. (laughs) (laughs) One for each roll-up. Oh, poor Florida. Poor Florida in the SEC championship game. That's a damn shame. That's a I'll, damn you know what? shame. I'm going to give you my roll cast shirt. You can have that. I would actually wear that to bed. The defunct roll cast. I, I think I'm the only one that has one. I don't even know if Trey has one. I'm going to the I'm gonna stand there. I'm going to stand there. The, uh, uh, and after the, how, must, wait, the hang on. I want to paint a picture. Hang on. I want to paint I want to paint a picture. I'm going to stand there in our door frame. Mrs. Sinone's going to walk by. I'm going to have the roll cast shirt. And only that. I'm going to give her a little come hither, little finger wave and then she's gonna go to twitter and look up trey and you're done mm, she does like a, a nice mustache <laughs> so, are we done um not yet no we're gonna talk about the instant reaction to the wake forest game <sighs> <laughs> so on friday morning like after we made it past thir- thursday evening i thought we were good to go i'm like all right i think we're in the clear here this is the day they're gonna be traveling Got a text message on Friday morning that was like, oh, they're pretty thin. This may be close. And I said, oh, shit, here we go. 
And then Chris sent me like a text message about 30 minutes later, be like, yeah, there's legit smoke here. And then Twitter blew up with players with cryptic tweets saying the season was over and the season was over. Yeah. Les Johns, who works on our Wake Forest site, also works with Wake Forest football and athletics. He uh, texted me. Les is delightful. I just need to say he's Les is a good guy. He's a really nice human being. Um, Probably about 40 minutes before the ACC made it official. And he goes, I'm hearing, you know, there's not optimism. So I immediately checked with somebody at FSU. They kind of said that jives, said that a little announcement would come from the league. It's jives. waiting for the ACC. It's jives. That's what I said. It's just my my deep voice. It's just not doing it for you these days. Um, So we were just kind of sitting and waiting. It was the O-line. It got wiped out. You know, they said that in the release. That's not some exclusive news or anything. And they were dangerously thin a week ago, and they couldn't It's funny. Leading up to Duke, I had somebody tell me, oh, they're going to play Duke. Like, they will literally dress a mascot up and run them out on the field to play the Duke game. They were adamant, but the same person was like, I just don't see them making it to Wake. Like, they were so dangerously thin. Uh, Then there was optimism in Wake Week, and it was like, yeah, this might happen. And no, it blew up by Friday. It was hell or high water for Duke, and I'll leave I'm it I'm so that. glad it's all over, to be honest. It's been a, not even the wins and losses. It's just the testing and the numbers and cancellations and postponements. It's just been a hell of a year to cover, and I think it's best for them to get to the postseason. I don't think players had any interest in playing in a bowl. The, the offseason. Players the off are season. exhausted. Yeah, don't say postseason. Did I say? There's a bowl. You said postseason, which no. No the bowl, no bowl game. The season. But people are going um, still. There's people who think they could play in a bowl no, game. That's there's not no a possibility. That that cat's dead, and it will be officially put to burial today, despite it, no release by FSU. Well, they were asked if they want, like players were asked if they wanted to play a bowl game, and it, adamantly they were like, no, because some it's been. Them, some of them were yelling it from their car window as they were leaving. Exactly. <laughs> it has been a grind for the players to be. More or less in protocol. Uh, you know, there's obviously going to be times when guys are out publicly and, and maybe they shouldn't be. But more or less, like, the protocol was upheld pretty damn well for most of the year for a team that had a lot of guys check out. A lot of players basically just kind of pack their bags and say, I'm, I'm done played. The fact that they were able to get nine games in is pretty remarkable given the circumstances and, and the standards for the protocol. So They went undefeated over the last month. Mm-hmm. Ended on a high note, which actually does have some value. The, the Duke game is what lasts in our mind. I wish they had said right after then that the game was over or the season was over. I think we've all been a little more relieved that, that it was done, but it is done. No bowl game expected. And that's pretty much done. Chris, you said no release from FSU. We don't expect one. Uh, I'm told they're doing exit interviews this upcoming week and then the week after Christmas with players. So, I mean, this this thing is done. Um, I'm trying to think if I have anything else on football. Oh, before I got we... some things. Oh, let's go. And I have a couple Get things. Get it off your too. chest, I have, a, sir. I have a couple things. Let it you, flow. Go, you go like first, Joshua. Here. I'm talking too much. You you go ahead. I'm going to shut up for a minute and drink my bourbon. Well, no, I wanted just to address the uh, contract extensions for Dugans and Odell and allow you guys to uh, explain the news from the week. <laughs> I feel like Josh is just just poking Sinone from Tampa. St. Petersburg, but who's counting? Uh, yeah, Ron Dugans and Odell Hagens. You don't think that's significant? No, it is significant. I'm not okay. arguing well, it. You didn't put it on your docket. It was I have it. In July uh, I it forgot. It, I honestly forgot about it until Josh mentioned Dugans or Chris mentioned Dugans when we were talking about Malik McClain, and then I have to add it. It was huge news in, in July. All right. So no, no. So so. Anyways, we had talked about on this podcast previously 
that their contracts for both of them were expiring at the end of January of 2021. So the next month coming up here uh, because they were on the previous coaching staff under Willie Taggart. Obviously Odell was on other coaching staffs as well. He's been here for a long time. And, uh, and so we had put in a request back in January, January for information on the contracts of multiple coaches, like about half a dozen or so coaches at that time, they did not have contract extensions finished or finalized for Ron Dugans or Odell Hagens. Uh, and then the entire season went through and we hadn't heard anything about that, any sort of contract extension. So we were operating under the assumption that the contracts were indeed expiring. Apparently they were executed in the contract that is in July. They were extended through one year for both Ron Dugans and Odell Hagens. So we got that information from Florida State to make sure that was clear concise so that was accurate when we were talking about on the podcast that FSU did extend those two coaches through 2022 so so is it the same yes same it's the same as everybody else on staff now other than Norvell of course uh so yeah we wrote about it because we got that information we wanted the correct information out there apparently some people took issue with the headline but I I don't know I mean they did get contract extensions, right? And the se- second well, that, yeah, paragraph so did clarify so, it was July. I mean, you can't – I can't write – listen, there's only so many words in the headline. I can't write FSU coaches Brandon, Ron Dugans and Odell Higgins received contract <laughs> extensions in July. Josh got I just can't got do him it. In a trap. I just can't – this is not enough words. Now i got to calm him down. Brandon, calm down. <laughs> what does it mean? I'm just I, – I, not to, to you. I mean, what does it mean to everybody else that is listening to this podcast? That they got their contracts extended through you 2020. Any, well, I'm saying what, this what doesn't do you mean, change what do you anything. think this means for coaching change in the offseason? Do you think we see any or does this kind of wrap it up for you? And, and um, there, is now, uh, there is now uh, – I don't think it's a yes or no answer, Josh. I think that does complicate it in the sense that there is now a buyout involved. So it's not just a – you know, wipe your hands of it and mm-hmm. we are going to hire someone if and just let the contract expire you would have a buyout for one year but it's not you, if you want to make a change you can still do it it's certainly viable it's just it's a one-year buyout that you would have to account but for. to me it kind of shows the fact that they went out and extended them in the summer that year one wasn't going to be a year of change because oh, we were, if you we were, were four gonna, months into covid at that point too into the pandemic right so if you, were, if you intended on about, you know, doing a true evaluation of the coaching staff after the season, you wouldn't extend coaches in the summer. So I think for, for different reasons, for COVID reasons, for financial reasons, I just don't think that there is really any intention. Oh, we lost Josh and he was back and he was making a good point. He was moving towards something. I'm sure that's photo. Welcome back. Josh, you're, you're really passionate in the middle of that. That's not the only thing that's unstable. It's a good thing my relationship is not unstable. <laughs> Ain't that right, Allison? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, as you guys buy a house together, probably. She said right there. Needs to be stable. <laughs> anyway, come on. But how am I supposed to fit July in the headline? <laughs> what am I supposed to reasonably do? Contracts extended for assistance months ago. There you go. I wrote the headline. You should have just hit me up for the headline. You know, on the headline. This is the second time where you could have really helped me out with a headline, Christopher. <laughs> but you're at a movie. You're always at a f- movie. I was at a movie. Blame it on the crudes. It's like Flintstones on crack. First Blackman, now this, and now I swore and I have to edit this. 
All right, and now time for a commercial break. <laughs> Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to On the Bench. We are wrapping up this podcast with some hoops talk. That's why Chris is so happy and chipper. He gets to talk basketball. But unfortunately, yeah, poor baby. Who beat who? Hey, who beat Florida State? Can you talk about that? Who was? I told you this was going to happen. The UCF, don't call them Golden Knights, won 86 <laughs> to 74 against Florida State last night in a game that tipped off at nine o'clock and I feel like didn't end until damn near midnight. Um, it stung. FSC played really poorly. Energy wasn't good. Play wasn't very good. Defense was quite atrocious, which is just certainly not a norm for FSU. Even on a bad defensive night, FSU usually does several things well defensively. That was not the case last night. So that loss snapped a 27-game home winning streak, a 41-game non-conference home winning streak, which actually began against UCF back in December of 2014. Hey, Chris, real quick. The picture of how long. Yeah. Real quick, uh, breaking news. This is probably worth on the podcast. Hampson Nazarudin did declare for the NFL draft. I am going to go ahead and write that. You guys take us home here for the podcast, okay? Well, Josh walked away. He's walking to his new house. <laughs> what? You well, lost him, brother. Well, you know, I'm gonna. Start I told right. him he's half dead now. When he has a kid, he's completely dead. But I'm, buying a house, that's half dead. He's got one foot in. Uh, you go ahead and keep talking about it. I know you can stall for it. five minutes. Uh, I'm here. I'm listening if you need me. But I'm going to try to write and get this out. Okay, buddy. Sure thing. So the loss also snapped a 31-game winning streak for FSU in games played in the Sunshine State and a 12-game winning streak against teams from the Sunshine State. So in other words, four major streaks all snapped. FSU loses by 12, and it felt like 12. They got just completely outplayed in the second half. MJ Walker was excellent. He posted 22 on the evening. MJ has been great. He's double figures every game this year. He's been steady. He's knocking down free throws. He's doing everything you want from a veteran. He's been a good leader. I thought Scotty Burns played the worst game he's played in his early FSU career. He struggled a lot defensively. just wasn't a very good night. He'll be fine. The biggest issue I have, and this has now been an issue in a couple of these early games, FSU's bench just isn't producing. They only had 10 last night in the losing effort. That was a major issue. FSU's going to win because of their depth, so their depth has to produce. Wyatt Wilkes 0 for 4 from three-point land. Don't want to completely bang on him because the previous game he was excellent from the perimeter, but they need it consistently out of him. There are certainly other guys. You know, Balsakop Ravica is playing pretty well as a starting center. Last night wasn't a great showing, but still pretty good. But it's fallen off a cliff after him. Quincy Ballard, true freshman, not really ready for the show. Tenor Ngom still kind of playing himself into shape. It's a whole different level of basketball than he was used to from 
Ryerson. He brings a little bit to the table, but not enough right now. Malik Osborne's not playing very good ball right now, to just be perfectly honest. And he's a guy that I kind of expected to be a pivotal sixth, seventh man for this team, and he's not that right now. They need that to come around. So they got some issues on the inside. They're not protecting the rim very well defensively. They're not rebounding very well. And Leonard Hamilton was straight up about both of those facts after the game last night, that at this point, this team in development is not there, and that the bigs certainly are not there. And that's something that's going to have to come along. Now, FSU is playing their fourth game in roughly 10 days, so you expect some lagging, obviously a very tough week with some of the games they played, also a bit of an emotional dump attached to that Florida game with the incident that happened with Keontae Johnson, who luckily it's very good, or not luckily, but it's a big positive that we're hearing he's doing much better. He issued a video where he was speaking, thanking the medical personnel that helped him. That's excellent to see from a UF perspective. UCF, on the other hand, was playing their first game in almost two weeks since December 6th. They were one and one. They beat all I'm hearing a lot of excuses, Chris. Not excuses, but UCF having not played in two weeks and the fact that they had been tested in their first two games against pretty solid caliber opponents. They were kind of a, what are are you going to get? You were wondering, are you going to get the team that played outplayed Auburn or the one that hung with Michigan for a while, but kind of faded down the stretch. You were wondering, and they weren't really either of those two teams. They were something a little better. They were red hot from the outside. Their main man, Brandon Mayhan dropped 32 points on FSU. He took what he wanted. They had two others score 20 or more. In fact, all but 12 points were scored by the three main players for UCF. But more than anything for FSU, it's got to be a learning experience. In past years, when they've had a bad loss, when they've played poorly, they've usually bounced back well. They get to play Monday night, Gardner-Webb, last game for about a week as they break for Christmas. Gardner-Webb's a team that they should handle. The thing you want to see is them come out and play better, rebound it better, be more effective, with, especially on the ball, stopping the dribble, defense, things that they did not do well in this one. And then you got to see FSU kind of take that next step as they enter a 19-game stretch that's nothing but ACC play, starting with a road game at Clemson to close out December. And then they uh, roll right into January with Duke. So, it's, you know, not no nights off when you roll into ACC play. I've talked when we've spoken about basketball on both the Hoops podcast and this podcast that they're going to have ups and downs. And last night was certainly a down. It was a very disappointing down. They were not good. It was one of the worst games I've seen FSU play in person at home in a long, long time. Um, the thing is, his teams have traditionally, Leonard's teams have traditionally bounced back from that, learned from that. I think this group will. The thing that does concern me beyond the interior issues is a bench. They just got to start getting out of that bench. They need six and seven guys to emerge, whether that's, you know, Malik Osborne and Dark Calhoun or one of those big start coming along or Wyatt Wilkes becomes Mr. Reliable with knocking down a three. They got to have something that comes about here that allows them to rotate away from that starting five, get those guys breathers and kind of run the other team to exhaustion. Cause that's why FSU wins so many games is they're going to win the last 10 minutes because they wore your ass out in the first 30 right now. They don't have enough reliable depth that they're able to do that. So those guys, those starters are playing major, major minutes and that's a big old concern and perimeter defense has to improve, but some of that's also interior defense has to improve. UCF last night, you know, 32 points at the rim, but also an ability to kick it out and knock down threes was there. And they got a lot of good open looks because FSU didn't stop the ball and didn't do anything about it at the rim. And, you know, that film is going to be a very important one for FSU. It's not like they're going to go out there today and 
have a practice where they're going to bang each other to death. They just can't do that. They've played too many games in a short span with a game coming Monday where they can't afford to do that. So today is about a mental practice, mental preparation. And it's going to be about watching that film, understanding what they have to do better, and then go and try to apply it in the game. But to quote Leonard. He He said bang each other to death. To quote Leonard, it's not time to hit the panic button. And I don't think it is. It just wasn't a good showing. And I think everybody understood that. MJ Walker spoke with us after the game. He certainly understood that. He's been through, you know, 100-plus games, plenty of good ones, some bad ones. He gets it. It comes with the game. comes with playing it. You know, FSU wasn't the worst ACC team yesterday. Louisville got their brains blown out by Wisconsin. So plenty of teams have an off day. FSU certainly had theirs yesterday. It was just kind of – it was weird to be in the tuck against a non-conference team and see him take an L and see him take an L kind of decisively. I love you guys. Josh doesn't have an idea what's going on. Why not? <laughs> We're, why, I just why, think we should why don't I have an idea there. of what's going on, Brendan? Uh, Hampson Nazardine just declared for the NFL draft. So I'm trying to write that real quick and get that up. Oh, so I need your assistance to uh, to help Chris out, finish up the, the hoop-specific talk, and uh, and take us home. I got it. So, Chris, what does it mean, though? I know they're <laughs> going to bounce back from this, um, but just from the bigger picture, how many losses can this team incur before they really, you know, jeopardize their spot in the play in the in the tournament? Well, let's presume they beat Gardner Webb, so they finish non-conference play with a four and one record against non-conference opponents. And they're obviously 1-0 in the conference right now. They play 20 conference games. I think, you know, anything 500 or above is probably going to help them get by. It's a weird year because teams are going to play less games than normal. So, you know, say FSU goes 10-10 and in the ACC, they're going to finish the year, what, 14-11, and I guess it mm-hmm. would be. That seems like a weird record, but this year it's different because you're playing a handful less games than a normal year. And you're not playing a whole – in FSU's case, they didn't play a whole lot of throwaway-type games. UNF, Gardner-Webb are throwaway-type games because those opponents aren't much to write home about. But other than that, they've played pretty solid-caliber opponents. You know, UCF has enough talent on that roster to make a run in their conference. Indiana's certainly going to be a factor in their conference. Florida should be a factor in the SEC for sure. You know, so I, I I think 14 and 11 is something they can live with if they go 500 in the ACC. I think FSC is going to get better. I've long been a believer that this team in February is going to be much better than the team in December and that they're going to have ups and downs. I think the fact that they handled, you know, that stretch of Florida and Indiana um, that they had there after the UNF opener, the way they did that people kind of started getting, oh, my God, they're going to really – they can run the table. The ACC looks a little weak, which right now the ACC does look a little weak. They'll be okay. I'm not, I'm not that worried about it. No, my concern is if, say, January 15th rolls around and the bench is still not producing, defense is still atrocious in the sense of stopping the ball, they're getting killed around the room, both defensively and getting, getting boards. If all three of those things are persisting, then you start wondering. But I, I don't I don't think that's going to be who they are. I think they're going to correct a lot of their issues. I think they're also going to have some guys that mature into doing a better job in their roles. You know, Raekwon Evans is a guy with experience. Malik Osborne is a guy with experience. Both of those guys have to play better ball than they are. Wyatt Wilkes has to hit shots. Dar Calhoun's an important newcomer who can make an impact. And they need somebody else to help them on the interior. Osborne can be part of that or one of those other two bigs in Ballard or Endgill. You know, so that obviously that's several guys you're talking about, but I do think there's going to be guys that take a step forward within the season. 
So we got Hamza news, Brendan. It's official. It's official. He announced it on on the gram. It's on the IG. I got I got someone sent it to, to me during this podcast. And then we also got official word Marvin Wilson wasn't returning over the weekend as well, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, Cam McDonald said he's coming back. Robert Cooper gave out a message that makes it seem as though he is coming back, and that is our expectation. Devontae Love-Taylor further confirmed his intentions to come back. Oh, I've we got obviously... some news for you guys. More? You ready for this? Yeah. Just a little the clip here at the end of this podcast. Oh, sorry. Never mind. Keep going. Just edit this Well, out. we only got five minutes until this other <laughs> bit of news breaks. So can I wrap it up here? Uh, I don't expect Warren Thompson to be back with the team. I think we kind of touched on that last podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will have the exit interviews, as I said earlier, uh, coming up this week and then the following week. I don't know how much we'll, – we'll see if we get some clarity if some of that kind of leaks out in the next two weeks. But I think it's like portal news and stuff like that is going to be kind of quiet with uh, with school being closed for, for a few days during the holidays. So we'll see how much – like legitimate turnover there is, but this is going to be kind of the start of what we expect to be a fairly busy offseason for FSU with, with roster attrition in addition. So that's it for me. I'll shut up. All right. And that's it for me. And that's it for Chris and me as well. Thank you for listening to on the bench. Uh, We'll be back uh, in a couple days. I'm not going to say an exact day. Have a Merry Christmas in case we don't come back before then. I hope everybody like my boy, Josh over there had a great Hanukkah. He informed me that it has, in fact, wrapped up. Yeah, this is our Hanukkah show, officially. And if you're traveling, drive safe. Thank you. Bye. of sports mixed with your pop culture along with humor and celebrity interviews your earbuds are enjoying the rich eisen show dan orlovsky are you still a Jaden daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy i think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one i think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft every quarterback in the nfl is accurate he's got the best on tape number two most transferable stuff to the nfl and then i think the third thing is pocket peace search for the rich eisen show on youtube or wherever you listen